You're listening to the Relevant Truth Podcast. My name is Roger Mason. This podcast is dedicated to examining biblical truth. The Bible is overflowing with relevant truth useful in our everyday lives. Thus the title, Relevant Truth. The Bible was relevant to those that first heard it through the apostles and prophets. It is also timeless truth, which means that is relevant for us today in the 21st century. It is my hope that through this podcast, you will be both encouraged and challenged as we look at the Bible together. In today's podcast, we'll be looking at Isaiah 36, examining the words of the Assyrian king Sennacherib. From the speech of Sennacherib, we learn how our enemy seeks to demoralize and discourage us through his lies. This is the big idea in today's podcast. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 36, reading verses 1 to 10, and then we'll slip down and look at verse 22. In the fourteenth year of King Hezekiah's reign, King Sennacherib of Assyria came to attack the fortified cities of Judah and conquer them. Then the king of Assyria sent his personal representatives with a huge army from Lachish to confront King Hezekiah in Jerusalem. The Assyrians stopped beside the aqueduct that feeds water into the upper pool, near the road leading to the field where cloth is bleached. These are the officials who went out to meet with them. Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, the palace administrator, Shebna, the court secretary, and Joah, son of Asaph, the royal historian. Then the Assyrian king's personal representative sent his message to King Hezekiah. This is what the great king of Assyria says. What are you trusting in that makes you so confident? Do you think that mere words can substitute for military skill and strength? Which of your allies will give you any military backing against Assyria? Will Egypt? If you lean on Egypt, you will find it to be a stick that breaks beneath your weight and pierces your hand. The pharaoh of Egypt is completely unreliable. But perhaps you will say, We are trusting in the Lord our God. But isn't he the one who was insulted by King Hezekiah? Didn't Hezekiah tear down his shrines and altars and make everyone in Judah worship only at the altar here in Jerusalem? I'll tell you what, my master, the king of Assyria, will strike a bargain with you. If you can find 2,000 horsemen in your entire army, he will give you 2,000 horses for them to ride on. With your tiny army, how can you think of challenging even the weakest contingent of my master's troops, even with the help of Egyptian chariots and horsemen? What's more, do you think we have invaded your land without the Lord's direction? The Lord himself told us, go and destroy it. Now let's drop down to verse 22. Then Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, the palace administrator, Shebna, the court secretary, and Joah, son of Asaph, the royal historian, went back to Hezekiah. They tore their clothes in despair. They went in to see the king and told him what the Assyrian representative had said. 
the Assyrians were convinced that they were invincible and that the God of Israel was no different from any other God that they had overcome in the other kingdoms. Then the king of Assyria sent the Rabshakeh with a great army from Lachish to the king Hezekiah at Jerusalem. Then he stood at the aqueduct from the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field. That's Isaiah 36 and verse 2. Lachish was the staging area for attacking the towns in Judah, including Jerusalem. He sent a large army against Jerusalem to surround it and to demand its surrender. The Rabshakeh is a title, not a proper name, which means chief cupbearer. It is used of a high court official, a governor or a chief of staff. The Bible tells us he stood at the aqueduct from the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field. Isaiah 36 and verse 2. The fuller's field was where the people spread their freshly washed clothes to bleach them in the sun. This is where Isaiah many years earlier had spoken to Ahaz, the king of Judah, telling him he would not fall into the enemy's hands, but the Lord would deliver Judah. Ahaz refused to trust the Lord at that time. Isaiah 7 and verse 3. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out now to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct from the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field. And Ahaz, the king of Judah at that time, refused to listen to the words of Isaiah and trust the Lord. Now, years later, Isaiah speaks to Hezekiah, the king of Judah, urging him to believe in God, that he would deliver Judah in their present crisis. The Rabshakeh, the spokesman of the king of Assyria, stood and belittled Hezekiah, while at the same time demanding the complete surrender of the city to Sennacherib, the king of Assyria. The Rabshakeh demanded that Hezekiah surrender, but Isaiah urged Hezekiah to trust God to deliver Jerusalem from Sennacherib and the Assyrian army. The purpose of the Rabshakeh's speech was to demoralize and to discourage Hezekiah and the people of Jerusalem into completely surrendering. The Rabshakeh wanted to undermine the people's faith in Hezekiah and their trust in God. Satan uses the same tactic with us. Have you noticed? He will attempt to undermine our faith in godly leadership and our trust in God. It is important to keep our trust in God and not lose heart. But examining the speech of the Rabshakeh, we will learn how our enemy seeks to demoralize and to discourage us through his lies. So let's examine some of the lies that Satan uses to discourage us. The first thing that was said by the Rabshakeh was this, You have put your trust in the wrong things. Verses 4 to 9. The Rabshakeh challenged Jerusalem. What are you trusting in? What makes you so confident? That's Isaiah 36 and verse 4 in the New Living Translation. The enemy of our soul knows that for the Christian, the most important thing is where we put our trust. Our entire Christian life rises or falls on this issue of where we put our trust. Our life is a life of faith and trust in God. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Hebrews 11 and verse 6 tells us, 
Our trust and our confidence must always remain in God. Without doubt, this is the key. God is the object of our faith. When we lose our trust and confidence in God, we will fall. The enemy will use our bitter experiences in life to shake our trust and confidence in God. Satan is quick to point out that God has failed us and he cannot be trusted. The Reb Sheka runs through all the possible options available to Hezekiah in his present crisis. He is quick to point out that none of these options can be trusted. He tries to convince them that their only reasonable option is to surrender to the king of Assyria, Sennacherib. Here's a summary of their options as given by Sennacherib. There are four of them. First of all, there's Hezekiah's war plan in verse 5. Do you think that mere words can substitute for military skill and strength? That's Isaiah 36 and verse 5 in the New Living Translation. Hezekiah speaks of having a military plan. They are just empty words. He has no military skill that can match ours. His talk is empty. He has no plan to win the war. These are the words of the Rabshakeh to discourage the people of Jerusalem, an attempt to undermine their confidence in Hezekiah, their leader. This is what Satan attempts to do with church leadership. He gets us to question the competence of our spiritual leaders. This is called divide and conquer. So the second option available to Hezekiah and the city of Jerusalem is this, your allies in verse 6. Which of your allies will give you any military backing against Assyria? That's Isaiah 36 and verse 5 in the New Living Translation. Will Egypt? If you lean on Egypt, you will find it to be a stick that breaks beneath your weight and pierces your hand. The pharaoh of Egypt is completely unreliable. That's Isaiah 36 and verse 6. The Assyrian official belittled Egypt, referring to it as a broken reed. Anyone who would lean on it would pierce through his own hand. Rabshakeh warns of trusting in the promises of Egypt. They are completely unreliable. They cannot be trusted. Egypt is not going to help you. You are on your own. No help is available from them. Amazingly, this is what Isaiah had been saying about Egypt all along. If you check back in Isaiah chapter 30, you'll read this. Judah sought an alliance with Egypt without God's blessing. The Rabshakeh speaks with some truth in his argument. Satan's lies are often disguised in some truth. Satan often mixes truth with error in order to deceive us with his lies. Lies mixed with just enough truth to be believable. And then thirdly, God. In verse 7, Isaiah 36 and verse 7, But perhaps you will say, We are trusting in the Lord our God. But isn't he the one who was insulted by King Hezekiah? Didn't Hezekiah tear down his shrines and the altars and make everyone in Judah worship at the altar here in Jerusalem? 
he then attacks their confidence in the Lord. To any claim that they were trusting in Jehovah, he says that Hezekiah had removed the high places and the altars of Jehovah. Jehovah is offended with you. This may have been his ignorance of the situation or perhaps a deliberate misrepresentation of what Hezekiah had done. The high places and altars which Hezekiah had destroyed were the altars of Baal and the gods of the pagans. Hezekiah had brought about a great spiritual return to the worship of Jehovah through his reforms. In reality, Hezekiah had removed the high places of the idols and strengthened the worship of Jehovah at the temple. I am sure that not everyone was in favor of these reforms. They had developed a taste for idol worship. This was an attempt to bring religious division, one of the most deadly types of division. Satan will always attempt to bring division, division between God and his people. God is offended with you. Division between each other. I am offended with you. Fourthly, your armies. Verses 8 and 9. If you can find 2,000 horsemen in your entire army, I will give you 2,000 horses for them to ride on. The Rabshakeh further taunts the king of Judah by saying that he couldn't provide enough riders if Sennacherib were to donate 2,000 horses. Hezekiah's army was seriously undermanned. With your tiny army, how can you think of challenging even the weakest contingent of my master's troops, even with the help of Egypt's chariots and horsemen? That's Isaiah 36, verses 8 and 9. Since Judah was so undermanned, how could they hope to defeat the Assyrian army, even with Egypt's help? Do you hear the arrogance and the pride in his voice here? The odds were overwhelmingly against Jerusalem. Their tiny army was no match for the Assyrian troops. Satan wants us to be intimidated, overwhelmed, and defeated by getting us to look at our limited resources. We are convinced that we can't win looking at our resources. Normally, this is true if we forget to factor in God. Ah, Lord God, you have made heaven and earth by your great might. With your outstretched arm, nothing is impossible to you. That's Jeremiah 32 and verse 17 in the NAB. Look at the number of times that Israel faced overwhelming odds and won the battle. Satan wants us to focus in on our limited resources and get us discouraged in the face of overwhelming odds. The ten spies on the borders of Canaan had this problem. They looked at their resources compared to the Canaanites and they looked at themselves and they said, we are going to lose. They are giants and we are grasshoppers. They looked at the resources of the Canaanites and they looked at themselves and they said, we are going to lose. They lost faith and hope and did not trust in God. Two million Israelites died in the wilderness because of unbelief. Two entered into the promised land because they believed God. They factored God into the things that they faced in Canaan. The Rabshakeh attempted to erode their confidence in their leadership, their allies, 
their God, and their armies. You cannot trust in any of these things to save you. Each option available to Judah will not work, argued the Reb Sheka. The conclusion of his argument? Your only reasonable option is to surrender. Satan wants us to give up and surrender. He is smart, experienced, and convincing. And on your own, you cannot win against him. The Bible tells us not to give place to the devil. Ephesians 4 and verse 27. He wants us to give up, to lose heart, and to surrender. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. That's Galatians 6 and verse 9. So don't get tired of doing what is good. Don't get discouraged and give up. For we will reap a harvest of blessing at the appropriate time. That's Isaiah 6 and verse 9 in the New Living Translation. The Rabshakeh, after looking at all of Judah's options, brings them to the conclusion that surrender is their only reasonable action. So the first lie was, you have put your trust in the wrong thing. So let's move on to the second lie. God is not on your side. Verse 10 and verses 18 through 20. The Rabshakeh had already spoken into the subject, but we want to pursue it a little bit more, that God is not on your side. Isaiah 36 and verse 10. What's more, do you think that we have invaded your land without the Lord's direction? The Lord himself told us, go and destroy it. How does one battle that? The Lord told me. Some people use this to win every argument. The Lord told me. How can you fight against that? The Rabshakeh falsely claims that the Lord had commanded the Assyrians to destroy Judah. This word was intended to terrorize the people by making them think that God had abandoned them. I have come here to destroy you with the Lord's direction and approval. Right now, in 2014, this little nation of Israel is surrounded by a vast army of Muslims who surround Israel and who believe that they have direction from God to destroy Israel, that Israel has no right to exist or live. Who do you suppose inspired this idea? The Rabshakeh was telling Jerusalem that God is not on their side. Every time there is a religious division, like a church split, this lie surfaces. God is not on your side. Of course, the other half of that lie is that God is on our side. Beware of this argument. God is on our side, not on your side. This lie is common in religious divisions. The us and them mentality. God is for us and against them. This is a common attitude that Christians have, and it creates a barrier between the Christian and the non-Christian, between church groups and unbelievers. The truth is that God never gets on side with us. We must get on side with him. Joshua learned this lesson. Joshua 5 verses 13 and 14. 
And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, the man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? So he said, No, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to your servant? This man with a drawn sword did not belong to Israel or Israel's enemies. He was the commander of the armies of the Lord. Joshua got it right when he fell on his face. When we stand before God, we don't ask God, Are you on my side or are you on their side? You fall on your face and you surrender completely to him. And you quickly get on side with him. It is not a matter of God being on your side and not on their side. It is a matter of you being on God's side. The Rabshakeh's argument continues. Verses 18 to 20. Beware lest Hezekiah persuade you, saying, The Lord will deliver us. Has any one of the gods of the nations delivered its land into the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharvaim? Indeed, have they delivered Samaria from my hand? Who among all the gods of these lands had delivered their countries from my hand? That the Lord should deliver Jerusalem from my hand. That's Isaiah 36, verses 18 to 20. He listed a series of conquered cities, including Samaria, whose God had not been able to save them from the Assyrian armies. The reasoning was, if these gods could not deliver their land out of the hand of Sennacherib, then how did Hezekiah expect Jehovah to deliver Jerusalem out of the Assyrians' hand? We have a proven track record of conquering cities and nations. At this point, Sennacherib had taken 46 walled villages in Judah. The prophet Isaiah had warned Judah that the Assyrian army was coming, and now it surrounded Jerusalem. Assyria had conquered Israel, and now it was moving on to Judah. Jerusalem was next. It was only a matter of time. Unfortunately, the Assyrians considered Jehovah to be like the other gods of the other nations, like the gods of Syria and the gods of Samaria, which had already fallen to the Assyrian army. Satan, with his impressive outward display, would have us believe that he is powerful, strong, and even invincible like God. The mountain, the stronghold that we face is invincible and God doesn't seem to be able to support us. Satan will attempt to defeat us by getting us to believe the lie that God has abandoned us and forsaken us and he is not on our side. Gideon believed this. Judges 6 and verse 13. Gideon said to him, My Lord, if the Lord is with us, and why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? And now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. 
Judges 6 and verse 13. A person goes through a bad life experience and they are quick to conclude that God has abandoned them and he is not on their side. This is often what we think. And this is what Sennacherib wanted Jerusalem and the people of Judah to think. That God had abandoned them. That God was not on their side. And that they needed to surrender to the king of Assyria, to the Assyrian armies. To summarize what we've covered so far, we've been looking at the lies that the Rabshakeh was attempting to communicate to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to Hezekiah. The first lie was, you have put your trust in the wrong thing, verses 4 to 9. The second lie that he attempted to communicate was, God is not on your side, verses 10 and verses 18 to 20. And now we want to look at the third lie. Don't trust them, trust me, verses 11 to 17. The odds were overwhelmingly against the people of Jerusalem, who had no means of escape from the thousands of enemy troops surrounding the city of Jerusalem. Hezekiah's three negotiators requested that the negotiations be carried out in Aramaic rather than Hebrew. Chapter 36, verse 11. Please speak to your servants in Aramaic, for we understand it. And do not speak to us in Hebrew, in the hearing of the people who were on the wall. The common people would not be able to understand what they were saying in Aramaic. The leaders were concerned that panic would spread throughout the city if the people heard the Assyrian demands and threats. The Rabshakeh saw an opportunity to place suspicion on the leadership of Judah. Satan is good at this. He is always trying to cast suspicion on leadership, especially church leadership. Satan wants the Christian church to be divided. This will keep the church weak and powerless. Then the Rabshakeh stood and called out with a loud voice in Hebrew and said, Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. That's Isaiah 36 and verse 13. The Rabshakeh refused to negotiate in Aramaic because he wanted to create panic, suspicion, and hopelessness throughout the city. He wanted everyone in the city to hear his words of discouragement and despair. Thus saith the king, Do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you. That's Isaiah 36 and verse 14. He charged Hezekiah with deceiving the people by giving them a false hope and security. The Rabshakeh arrogantly proclaimed that Hezekiah will not be able to deliver you. That's verse 14. Don't trust the words of Hezekiah that the Lord will deliver you, nor let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord saying, The Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hands of the king of Assyria. That's Isaiah 36 and verse 15. Do not listen to Hezekiah. That's Isaiah 36 and verse 16. Beware lest Hezekiah persuade you, saying, The Lord will deliver us. That's Isaiah 36 and verse 18. These are all the words of the Rabshakeh spoken to the people of Jerusalem. Don't trust Hezekiah. 
Don't trust God to save you. Don't trust them. Trust me. This sounds a lot like Satan. Hezekiah is deceiving you and he is lying to you. The words of Hezekiah found in 2 Chronicles 32. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid nor dismayed before the king of Assyria, nor before all the multitudes that are with him. For there are more with us than with him. With him is an army of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people were strengthened by the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. That's 2 Chronicles 32, verses 7 and 8. These were the words of Hezekiah spoken to the people of Jerusalem during this crisis. Hezekiah was doing what God's leaders are to do, to strengthen God's people by encouragement from God. Look at Sennacherib's promises of prosperity and peace to the people of Jerusalem. Do not listen to Hezekiah. For thus saith the king of Assyria, Make peace with me, buy a present, and come out to me. And every one of you will eat from his own vine, and every one from his own fig tree, and every one of you drink water of his own cistern, until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards. That's Isaiah 36, verses 16 and 17. He promises the men of Judah plenty of food if they surrender to him, plus eventual relocation in a land of equal fertility. It sounds good, doesn't it? Especially when you are starving and without resources because the city was under siege from the Assyrian army. Satan's promises, they are hollow and empty. He is the father of lies. There is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. That's John 8 and verse 44. Who is the father of the modern car? Henry Ford. Who is the father of the modern telephone? Alexander Bell. What does it mean to be the father of the modern car? He is the first to think of it, to invent it. What does it mean to be the father of the modern telephone? He first thought of it and invented it. What does it mean to be the father of lies? He first thought of it and invented it. Satan is proud and confident of victory over you. He will try to frighten you into surrendering. He will promise you whatever you desire, but these promises are empty. Don't trust them. The Rabshakeh was asking the city of Jerusalem to not trust Hezekiah's motives, but to trust his. Don't trust them. Trust me. This is exactly what Satan said to Eve in Genesis chapter 3. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. That's Genesis 3, verses 4 and 5. Satan flatly contradicts God's word. You will not die. God said they would die if they ate of the fruit. 
Satan also cast suspicion on God's motives. There was this suspicion that God was holding something back from them. God didn't have their best interest at heart. Satan was asking Adam and Eve to trust in him and not to trust God. Satan and the Rabshakeh were saying the same thing. Don't trust God, trust me. Don't trust God's word, trust my word. Don't trust God's motives, trust my motives. Don't trust the motivation of Hezekiah or the leadership of Judah. Trust my motives. The Bible says of Satan, there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. That's John 8 and verse 44. The devil can't help but lie. It is what he does. It is who he is. Do you see how crazy these lies are? Why would we ever agree to trust or to believe the devil? The people did not respond to the Rabshakeh's words, but they held their peace and answered him not a word. For the king's command was, do not answer him. The negotiating team came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told him the words of the Rabshakeh. That's Isaiah 36 verses 21 and 22. The words of Hezekiah was good advice. Do not answer him. Verse 21. We should never negotiate with Satan because we will lose. All of Jerusalem was terrified of the Rabshakeh's words. This is exactly what he had set out to accomplish, to put fear, distress, and discouragement in the heart of the people of Jerusalem. The Bible tells us that the leading negotiators reported back to Hezekiah with their clothes torn. This usually indicates a sign of great distress and mourning. This illustrates the designed effect Satan's lies will have on us when we choose to believe in his lies. All of us have been exposed to these lies, especially in times of crisis. You are putting your trust in the wrong thing. God is not on your side. Don't trust them. Trust me. To allow yourself to come under the influence of these lies is dangerous. When you choose to trust God, you have always made the right choice. Let's pray. Father, help me to trust you, especially in times of crisis. Free me from all of the confusing voices that seek my attention. Free me from the lies that the enemy is attempting to plant in my mind. I choose to trust you and your word, for you are faithful and true. I ask you to help me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We will be back in two weeks. Next time we will continue to look at this story from Isaiah chapter 37, looking at how King Hezekiah handled this crisis he faced with Sennacherib. What do we do with the difficulties we face? That is the big idea in our next podcast. Never miss an episode of the Relevant Truth Podcast by subscribing on iTunes. If you like the podcast, why not submit an iTunes review? Thanks for listening.